Good morning. Welcome to Rimrock Church. So excited to have you all here. Just one second. We're going to teach you a new song this morning. We just want to lift up the name of Jesus, enjoy Him, enjoy each other. Let's do this. and the political upheaval and how 
this sort of spirit of depression and fear has fallen on our nation and it's like a dust that's fallen over us so we want to shake that dust off so sing this with me say
You are the great I am. You may be seated. Good morning. I am so excited that this morning at Rimrock Church, we are highlighting a, a ministry, love in action, that is so close to my heart, and I believe it's so close to God's heart that um, God is love, and the kind of love that comes from God is not just words or sentiment, but rather it's expressed, it's demonstrated in action. And Jesus talked about that in Matthew 25, how, how love is seen in visit, actually visiting actually giving and actually caring uh, for those in need. And so uh, one thing that's uh, so important for us at Rimrock Church is that it's demonstrated in how we uh, serve one another, how we give to one another. And so Love in Action is all about that. Last Sunday, second service, I got to uh, hang out with the kids uh, during the sermon time, and we talked about God and His design for us to be cheerful givers. So I hope you enjoy uh, these words from our, our children this morning. It means to love others and treat pe people how you want to be treated. It means to give with joy and give things such as time and money. It means to be like, so adults, when they babysit your kids, they'll think like, here, I'll pay you back for this. But kids usually don't have a lot of money like adults do. So a way they can be a cheerful giver is they can be kind and they can invite and then and they can encourage people when they're sad. Being a cheerful giver means that you 
can give time and do work to help others. To be a cheerful giver is to be kind and generous to others and to give others what they need. Good morning and welcome. It's a beautiful day out there. The sun is shining and it's Super Bowl Sunday. Woo! <laughs> so my name is Kari Arnold and I work with the Love in Action or LIA ministry, the giving ministry that the kids were talking about. And um, I just want to welcome you all this morning. And for those of you who are visiting for the first time, we really encourage you to go to our welcome desk and we have some gifts for you, and uh, we just love to meet you. Um, and also today, after this service at 10.30, we have the first step class for those who'd like to learn more about Rimrock. So we encourage you to go to the class and um, get to know you, and you get to know us. And um, I'd also like to talk a little bit more about the Love in Action ministry tell you how it started. It started in, it was about 2009 with Pastor Steve and Mike Hayes and myself. And it was just a little idea of, you know, how can we kind of plug in and help each other when there's a need. And, and so that's when it was started. And it was originally called LOL. Some of you might remember that. It was um, Living Out Love but we ended up changing the name because if you know LOL or LOL, um, it got confusing. So we changed it to Love in Action, and that's what it's about, is putting the love in our hearts for God in action to help others, particularly here at Rimrock. So it's Rimrockers helping Rimrockers. Uh, we do expand a little bit beyond that. Um, we, we've done some community projects. We've taken um, platters of goodies out to the sheriffs and police department and things like that on occasion. Um, this last Christmas we did widows, widowers, and shut-ins and people who had experienced a, a loss in the past year. We took them Christmas baskets and uh, just an outreach to remind people that they are loved in this body and we are a family. And so today we just want to let you know that we're here. We also want to let you know that um, uh, we're, we have a number of volunteers. We always enjoy more. Uh, of course, we had a lady just a minute ago. She said, you know, I have kids and I'm working, but I would love to be of help when I can. And that's the beautiful thing about this ministry is you can volunteer in a general sense if there's a need that comes up, whatever it might be, we send it out to you via email. If, there, um, if there's a specific interest that you have, like maybe, you know, Ben loves helping people move. And so <laughs> those of you who want to sign up for his team, he didn't tell me to recruit you specifically, but I'm doing it. We could always use more of the moving team, so you could sign up for that. And then we just send out an email. We let our volunteers know this is the need, this is when it is, and then you let us know if you're available at that particular time or if you are not. So uh, we've done meals and cleaning and baskets and decorating and watering gardens and just a variety of things. And you know, it's just so fun. I think that the people who are volunteering and, and giving, they're the ones that probably feel the most blessed. But we have had tremendous feedback from the people on the receiving end. And those people receiving have said, not only has it ministered to them, um, and to their hearts to know that they're cared for, but the people around them, like their family members, uh, maybe it's the kids who are kind of wondering about God, or you know, our family is struggling, and, and to have somebody come in and just show that they care means so much. And then their friends hear about it, and they're like, what, your church did that? And I'll give you an example. We had a family that was coming here. They hadn't been here very long, and um, she had a huge trial coming up, and she's working like 90 hours a week, and her husband had surgery, and they had eight kids. So we provide, we just provided some meals. Me, myself, I just did pizzas, okay, because I'm not a great cook, but I brought pizza. And um, it wasn't any big deal on our end, but it was such a ministry and witness to them 
because their kids were kind of new to church and they were like wow i didn't know a church did that that's just so cool and it's just god's love that's all it is and god's love does such great and amazing things when it's put in action and i don't know larry and brenda did you have something you wanted to toss out that's your prompt <laughs> So Larry and Brenda are, are just such a blessing. They help on our team and our steering committee. And um, out at our table, if you'd like to, to stop by after the service, we have a table out there. If you'd like to find out more about Love in Action, we really want people to let us know when they need something. We have over 80 volunteers. We don't always have that many requests because I know it's hard sometimes for people to ask for help. If you know of somebody, if they've had a surgery or could use a, any kind of follow-up, encouragement, let us know on behalf of your friends, if not on behalf of yourself, okay? So these, these popcorn bags that they're tossing out, uh, we just want you to know that if you weren't here to receive it, what good would it do, right? I mean, somebody needs to receive it. So receive the blessing of love and action and let us know if you need help, okay? <laughs> Thank you so much. Amen. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Corey. Well, I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. A man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Oh, but you came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Yes, it is. Come on. Oh, that's nothing.
for the times we try to get our life from something other than you, God. But you are the fountain of life, God. You are the air we breathe, God. We bow our hearts. We bend our knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls
Well, good morning. I was so glad to see that white light come on. I, I have notes and I do them color-coded, and when the blue light was on, all my colors were all mixed up. And, uh, and, and so I wouldn't know where to begin here. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I listened to those kids, and I was just almost moved to say, no wonder that verse says, out of the mouth of babes and kids and children will come the worship of God. It's like, I just kind of th- like that a lot. I think we should give them the platform up here and throw me the popcorn, and we could just do that <laughs> differently. Uh, you are going to see, as we look through, we're continuing through the book of Judges. Uh, I will be at least referring back a little bit to Ben, Nick, and Boomer's couple of comments that they had made, and, and, uh, and so we're going to kind of make sure that we look at the scriptures as a whole again and not just a portion of scripture. I'm going to read for you today uh, and, I, and I want you to just be careful. I, I, hate to, I hesitate to do this and say, now don't pay attention to the details here. So now all of you will try to pay attention to the details. There are a lot of details in the book of Judges and things that thinking, what in the world would they write that in there for? And you'll understand when I read to you what I mean by that. But I think there's some really, really neat takeaways today uh, that we can walk away from this and take some things into our life and let them be practical as we walk out. So if, uh, if you would at least listen here as we read, we're going to look at Judges chapter 3. And we're going to start with uh, verse 12. And I'll go ahead and read, and uh, we'll go all the way through the portion that I'm reading here. Chapter 3, verse 12. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered to himself the sons of Ammon and Amalek, and he went and defeated Israel, and they possessed the city of the palm trees. And the sons of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. But when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, the left-handed man. And the sons of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it to his right thigh under his cloak. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very, very fat man. And it came about when he had finished presenting the tribute that he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he himself turned back from the idols which were at Gilgal. And he said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he said, keep silent. And all who attended him left him. And Ehud came to him while he was sitting alone in his cool roof chambers. And he said, I have a message from God to you. And he arose from his seat and he had stretched out his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the handle also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the sword out of his belly, and the refuse came out. And Ehud went out into the vestibule and shut the doors of the roof chambers behind him, and he locked them. And when he had gone out, his servants came and looked, and behold, the door of the chamber were locked, and they said, oh, he's only relieving himself in the cool room. And they waited until they became anxious. But behold, he did not open the doors of the roof chambers. Therefore they took the key and opened them, and behold, their master laid fallen on the floor dead. And now Ehud escaped while they were delaying, and he passed by the idols, and he escaped to Syrah. And it came about when he had arrived that he blew the trumpet in the country of Ephraim, and the sons of Israel went down with him from the hill country. And he was in front of them. And he said to them, Pursue them, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. So they went down after him and seized the fords of Jordan opposite Moab and did not allow anyone to cross. And they struck down at that time about a thousand Moabites, 10,000 Moabites, all robust and valiant men, and no one escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land was undisturbed for 80 years. The reading of God's Word. So now, what are you going to talk about? I, I, 
I've read a lot of different articles. I heard a lot of different people talk about this portion of Scripture. And to be honest with you, I was not satisfied with anything that I read. And, and as I asked God, I said, God, what, what do you want for me? First of all, what do you want this to do in my life? And somehow that I might bring not just words here, but maybe bring something that you're doing in my life that has some type of power because I believe that it's affected me. And so there are some things that stood out here. We're not going to go ahead and talk necessarily about the fat man and the blade going into his stomach. However, we are going to allude to the fact that it's an enemy. I'm not going to go into, as some did, uh, in terms of the left-handed and why it was so important the Benjamite was a left-handed warrior. There are a lot of takes on that. I think one is that God uses anybody and everybody in your gifts, whether you're right-handed or left-handed or slow or ADD or whatever, God uses you just like anybody else. Uh, but I, I, I think some of the things that stood out to me were interesting. First of all, it starts out by, and Israel did evil in the sight of God again and again. I want you to View a video here, if you would. Pay attention to it. Now, this actually is scriptural, okay? Proverbs, in Proverbs 19, it says that when you catch a man or catch a woman that is doing evil and continually, whether it's their anger or their outbursts or whatever, and you deliver that man, and they never are helping anyway for you to deliver them out or pull them out, they don't do anything to do it, they'll just do it again and again and again. And uh, this reminded me of Israel at this point in Judges, but I began to make it more personal, and I started thinking of you and me and our idols. And I said, why do we just keep returning to our idols? What is it that draws us to these things when they do nothing but get us fried? And, and I think that that was something that really hit me. And uh, Timothy Keller, a guy I listened to, said, we're opposed, we're, we're oppressed by the very ones, the very idols that you're giving yourselves to, every time Israel worshiped idols of the nation, the nation ended up oppressing them. And Ben has mentioned this, Boomer touched on it, Nick spoke on it a while ago, and he made a phrase and he said, your idol will take you farther than you wanna go, it'll cost you more than you wanna pay, and it'll make you stay longer than you wanna stay. I, I want to get a little serious here for a minute because sometimes when we hear things, we, yeah, that's, that's neat, I'm going to pay attention. I'm, I'm trying to give you a, a warning that I saw all the way through Scripture. I have seen in my own life experiences, and I've seen in talking and visiting uh, in the, uh, the hearts of thousands of people, and I want to let you know something that what you and I pursue as idols, like the song that said that we'll lift, not lift up our soul to another, when you do, it will entrap you. It will catch you. Over and over, God says, I, I tell you, don't chase these idols. They have nothing except for slavery. They will enslave you. At first, you may not know it, so it's, so it's like, well, this isn't so bad, but they will catch you, and not only will they catch you, they will imprison you, and they will keep you in places longer than you want. They will cost you more than you think. So sometimes, if we don't know the end story, it's easy for us to keep chewing on these idols, but the end story of all of these things that we see in Scripture are they will enslave you. And God says over and over again, he says, when you, they cried out to him, he said, let your idols that you chase, let them deliver you. See how they'll deliver you. And it said, and they attempted to, and they became more enslaved to that. 
So we, we look at number one I want to talk about is why in the world did these people continue to do evil again and again and again and not pay heed to God's warnings as saying, it's not just that I don't want you to have fun or enjoy yourself. I want you to know that these things will imprison you. They will take, they will take what they promised you and backfire on it and put you in prison, and it will eventually destroy you. Uh, Nancy was reading something the other day. Nancy's my wife, and she was reading something the other day, and I I, I listened to it, and it didn't really penetrate until I went out and I was walking along. Then it, then it caught my ears, and she was reading about that God, whenever they talked about God, and whenever in the Bible they'd write about God, and, uh, and people that didn't know God, they would describe him as this incredible God, the creator of the universe, and the, who laid out the galaxies, and, and, and to look at the galaxies, and I live in a place where I can look out and the stars are so bright at night, and I look at them and I'm thinking, and that's all that I can see, and yet the galaxies are out here, and yet us human beings, we look at that and we say, you know what, I'm gonna make that God my assistant. I'm gonna have him work for me. We don't say it out loud, but that's what we do. We, we attempt to say, look at this, God of the universe, boy, I'm gonna use him. And it's like, do you get what we're saying? And this is what God is saying. It says he sits on the thrones forever and he laughs at the minds of the stupid people. The sheep, you saw the sheep. My brother and I went to where the, I think I told you this last time I talked, we went to the sheep, uh, what do they call it, where the dogs herd the sheep at the rodeo. And I, we were amazed at the dog, but I was more amazed at the sheep how idiotic and stupid they were. And then he sends me this video, and I said, well, this is proves it. This is just what we're like. We just continually do that. So let me break down this. In, in 1 John, it says, love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. For the love of the world is not of the Father. For the love of the world is the lust of the eye, uh, the, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, which is not of the Father, but is of the world. And it talks about the desires let me kind of make practical at least some things that I might be able to touch some of you or at least trigger some things and show you why it's important for you to at least look at these. Uh, here are some idols. And, and, and I know that we're not back with Baal, B-A-A-L, the Baal of that day, but we have our own Baals. We bow down to our own Baals, and they're just as dangerous as these Baals were. I, I just wrote down some of the last three weeks of talking to people when they brought in their idols. But they brought in their idols only because they were now being mastered by their idols and they no longer were free and they wanted free from their idols. Uh, money, obviously, is one. The desire for money, this, the image, these, uh, the trust in money, and always kind of going after it and working late hours and doing whatever it does to get money so that somehow we will be able to be safe and we can, it says we can put our trust in our own nest egg. Uh, it's amazing when I, when I saw different people that all of a sudden got lots of money and they began to pursue money. Now when they, uh, in the morning they wake up, the first thing they do, they get on, they check their stock market. They see if their money went up or down. And pretty soon their money begins to enslave them. Their joy in life is determined by what happens to their money. Uh, they, they say, oh no, the, uh, the economy's gonna collapse, and so all of a sudden, their joy has been robbed from them, so now no longer this thing that they promised them that you would have peace, that very thing is enslaving them. Body image. It's amazing what body image has done in this world today. And it's not just women, it's men and women. But it's amazing the, the slavery that it does. Uh, I had a person I talked to that ended up get, getting value and worth in their body and their image. And, and so pretty soon they began to find out different ways of continuing to make that body be what they want it to be. The problem that they, that they never tell us about body image is we ultimately lose. <laughs> Gravity takes over. And no matter what you do. So what you used to work out with maybe... 15 minutes a day, and you could eat anything you wanted and keep this body. Well, now it gets a little bit more, and now you've got to work out an hour a day, and you have to watch what you eat. Well, it keeps going. No matter what you do, 
you will lose this fight. This body dissolves. Uh, it, it's amazing. And then I saw this person that would get up in the morning and they would go ahead, which I did today, and put, and I was going to go ahead and, oh, these pants are tighter than they were before. I've seen people that could not button their pants very well only because they washed their pants. But they're depressed for the entire week because their pants didn't fit. And now all of a sudden, they're no longer free. And I've seen some people, and I've visited with one this last week, that literally their entire body was, had fallen apart because of all the effort they put into trying to keep it up. And now we're going in for surgeries, and now the surgeries weren't taking, and pretty soon they were enslaved, and they couldn't even hardly go out and be free to minister to people because of what they might look like. And they said, I am totally oppressed. I am no longer free. I am bound by the very idol I gave myself to. Relationships. Boy, that'll do it. Uh, get your relationships out of your kids and make your kids an idol. They'll destroy you in a minute. I uh, heard a guy say, I'm only as happy as my saddest kid. And it's like, man, I put my trust in it and now they, they betrayed me. Why didn't they listen to the things I said? They were just like the sheep. Prestige. I was working with a person a couple months ago, and this whole image of, uh, of prestige and, and, and having people like you, haven't they found out people are fickle? They're amazingly fickle. You've had them in your life, I've seen them in mine, and these people that you're trying to please, and all of a sudden something goes wrong and they turn on you in a second. The very person you were trying to please turns on you. They will absolutely rob you of anything. Here's one that's so clear in telling, but it's usually the only one we look at. And that is the lust of the flesh. Now, the lust of the flesh is not just sexual, but the lust of the flesh are addictions. It can be alcohol. It can be meds. But when you watch somebody that somehow gets involved and gives themselves to that addiction and then watch what that addiction does to them, I've seen people that will go in, steal, embezzle money, do anything to keep that addiction. Now pretty soon they get up and they cannot see anybody around them other than to somehow get that next fix. They'll do anything to get that next fix. And when they go to get it, they find themselves totally enslaved. Have you seen that? And people whose body is addicted to some of these chemicals, and so when they take them, all of a sudden, they're like somebody in a trance. They walk out and they're addicted. And it's not that God doesn't want you to enjoy things in life. He says, don't you know, if you give your soul to another than me, that what you give yourself will master you. I had a whole bunch more here. I'm going to freeze. Do you get the picture? What I'd ask you to do is at least look and say, what is it that I give myself to? What, what is it that I'm like these Israelites that somehow turn back to think that I'm going to get what they promised me? Because I promise you, they are lying to you. There's nothing in it because they demand more and more and more. And it says the flesh is never satisfied. And when it's never satisfied, you become enslaved to it. That's what these Israelites were doing. And so that stood out to me. Here's something else that stood out to me. They cried out. How many times are you going to see in here they cried out? Now I want you to notice something that I, I took away from this. God seemed to respond when they cried out. Because it says they found this and he ran by the idols and then they cried out. If you find something that God brings to your mind by the power of the Holy Spirit that you've been addicted to or something that you have put that you're running to that idol and, and so therefore you recognize it and you say, you know what, I want to at least turn from this. I want to do what I can to turn from this and worship the only thing that will satisfy me. And you cry out, God redeems again and again and again. He's like the farmer. He just keeps taking you out of the pit. If you cry out, he comes. And that's the things I got is that these Israelites, they still would cry out. Even though they were partial in their walk with God, impartial, every once in a while they would break and cry out. So I encourage you, if God points something in your heart, cry out. Say, God, 
Deliver me from this. I can't seem to do it. Deliver me from this. Now here's something that stood out to me. I don't know if I'm making something out of this, but when I looked at it, I, when, I, when I looked at uh, Ehud it, carving his sword, and he carved the two-edged sword, right? It was sharp on both sides. Well, I had memorized enough scripture in, in my history to realize what else is a two-edged sword. Let the high praises of their throats and the two-edged sword in their hands, which is the word of God, let them execute vengeance on these nations. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and marrow, bringing about the intentions and thoughts of a person's heart. That the word of God is, is referred to, and the spirit of God is referred to as a two-edged sword. And so I believe that my takeaway from this is this. I don't think God's telling us in this passage of Scripture for us to go home, carve a, carve a sword with two edges, and get ready for it. I think he's telling us this, that we have enemies just like this king. And this enemy is wanting you to worship idols. But our enemy today is no longer flesh and blood. It says we don't war against flesh and blood, but we, we war against spiritual wickedness in high places, and we're to thrust down these strongholds that have raised themselves up against the knowledge and the word of God. And to take your two-edged sword, which is the spirit and the word of God, and begin to use it where you can bury it deep within the enemy. Do you know that Satan and his demons and hierarchies and principalities and authorities cannot stand against the word of God in the name of Jesus? You and I have that sword on our right hand, our right hip, and we can draw it out and we can say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the two-edged sword, by what the scriptures are saying, I can come against Satan and say, you have no right whatsoever in my home. For I have been given authority in the name of Jesus, as Nancy and I stay as one and worship you, that you cannot come into here because the word of God with two edges says so, and he cannot penetrate. There's a verse that says that like a sparrow and it's flying over the ocean, it has nowhere to land. So is a curse that's been cast against you. It can't land without a cause. So my word for you is to take the two-edged sword, take this thing, get familiar with it, let God open up your heart to it. There's something supernatural in this word. It says that we also, the word of God is living and active, but it says we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the powerful word of God, which will work for you and work in all believers. There's something about the word of God and the words of God that give us power. There's a verse in Psalm 149, and it says that our enemies, our enemies which are not flesh and blood, they're not the fat man over here today, but our enemies are spiritual. And it says if you will go ahead and with your high praises of worship and take the two-edged sword, which is the word of God, it says you will begin to carry out a sentence that's already been executed against your real enemy. And they'll, be, they'll have to flee from you. I have watched it in my own life. I have seen it in the lives of people where the word of God does something supernatural. And I can't explain it other than it comes out and, and there it is. Here's another truth that stood out for me that you'll see. Now remember... Ehud didn't just start attacking some of the people out in the plains. Who did he go for? He went to the king. He went to the strong man. And if you'll, if, now does that ring a bell in Mark and in Matthew where Jesus says nobody goes in and tries to plunder a place without first of all going and taking down the strong man of the house. I believe that the strong man that you and I are to take down is first of all attack these idols. Turn from the idols that you are worshiping and you are drawing your life from. Attack the strong man, which he did. Once he killed uh, the strong man, the king, he then went to his people and said, hey, let's blow a trumpet because the strong man's dead. And God said, they'll get, now deliver him into our hands. And so he takes down the strong man and he goes after him. Now, 
In conclusion, I want to make sure that we're left with what I think everybody that's been up here preaching has said. It's real easy for us to go ahead and say, okay, I'm going to really stop the idols. Good luck. If you've made an attempt to stop it, how many times have you tried to stop it? One of the idols in here was a person that could not control his emotions, always getting angry, always flash, just responding. So I'm going to just not get mad anymore. Just wait till something blocks his uh, goals. He'll get mad. And so the point of the passage that we see as Boomer hit last week is the Holy Spirit came on these people, Ehud and these people, comes on Samson, comes on them. And as Boomer told you, you and I who have bent our knee to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't just come on us. He comes and takes up residency within this human body up here talking to you. The Spirit of the living God that laid out the universe lives inside me and lives inside you. And so I cry out when I see my idols and say, I am totally bankrupt. I cannot in my own efforts ever stop this. But you are all powerful. And thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty and indeed everything that I need pertaining to life and godliness, you've granted to me. You can tear down this idol. And so this brings us back to not just a fallen people who keep doing over and over. It brings us to a redeeming God who wants to set you and me free. And it says, and they found peace for 80 years. When I've seen people set free by basically saying, I cannot, but I'll turn from this thing and come back, God redeems them. Here's the second thing you do not see. When you see some of these things and you say, okay, I am going to grit up my teeth, you cannot do it. I believe in my experience in my life and the people that I've talked to that I've seen have victory over whatever it is that they have victory over it's always done by an aggressive loving rather than trying to stop and manage sin. That's why those kids, the comment these kids made, and they read these comments about be kind, be generous. When my life was being filled with greed and envy of what everybody else was doing because I decided to leave this and go into ministry and I wasn't having what I saw everybody have and I began to just be envious of what people had and I kept saying, God, I hate that. I don't like that about myself. I don't want it. So I'm going to stop being envious. And I'm going to stop. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. But when I went ahead and said, God, here's the deal. I am no longer going to work at controlling my greed. I'm going to stop trying to control my envy. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and call upon you by faith that you gave me a spirit of giving and one of satisfaction and steadfastness. And so basically, God, I am going to go ahead and make my, my days filled with looking out and becoming a giver and a lover of other people. When I began to look how I could be generous to other people, and what, what I did have and possess that I could now give thanks and give to other people, the more I did that, the more that other, that other just left and left me. And those people that know me know that I'm not perfect at this point, but I'll tell you what, that doesn't haunt me anymore. That idol no longer lives in this place. And it, it got away when I did what these kids said. They became hilarious givers. And the word in the scripture says hilarious givers means when, when God says, I want somebody to take this. Choose me, choose me, let me do it. I want to do it. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so amazed. Your word is so rich. There's so many. We could stay even in this portion of scripture until the day that you came back and never, never run out of things that you wanted to teach us. But Lord, I know that it is, I am unable to go ahead and bring to light the idols that are somehow creeping into every individual in here. You said you looked down, there was none that were not guilty. I tried to father the best to expose some of those things by just taking things that you've exposed in my life. I would pray, Holy Spirit, that you do a work here so that we would realize it isn't to take people away from things, it's to let us enjoy life as it was intended, because you're enough as a song these singers sang. You're enough. There's none like you. Do your work in their life that you might be honored and glorified, and that we might be a people that somehow have been our knee. And we ask it in your precious name. 
Amen. you guys. Come join us again Wednesday night and next week. Amen.